0: This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the much-requested wedding of Thor from Norse mythology. And, unsurprisingly, it contains much more violence than any wedding outside of Westeros. You'll also see why bad poetry is so bad. It basically comes from Odin's urine. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a little fairy from Maori folklore who, when it's not trying to kill you, is teaching you how to put on amazing puppet shows. (laughs) This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 24. Whosoever holds this hammer. These are stories from folklore that have shaped our world. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. Today's story is one from Norse mythology. About the time Thor got married... This is a story that is in the Poetic Edda, a group of Scandinavian poems that informs a lot of what we know about Norse mythology. Its origin might be in the 9th or 10th century AD, but that's a topic of much scholarly debate. Regardless, this is a myth, so it deals with clearly supernatural elements, and it's not at all linked to anything historical. It's set outside of history. Remember that Norse mythology was the religion of the Vikings, and we've only touched lightly on the mythology. We've seen some of Odin showing up to start some stuff in the Viking episodes, and then Loki's unfortunate interaction with the horse in the dog episode, but this is really our first foray into Norse mythology proper. Norse mythology is incredibly different from the popular comic book movie adaptations out right now. I'm going to take a big view and look at the cast of characters first. There are nine worlds. Asgard is the home of the Aesir, the name of the group that Odin, Thor, Loki, and all of them belong to. Midgard, or Middle-earth, is Earth and home of the humans, and just humans, no hobbits or anything. Zvaltifar is the home of the dwarves, and though it really isn't relevant to our story today, the dwarves are not at all the gruff, no-nonsense good guys with the hearts of gold that we all know and love. No, they were pretty viciously hated, at least by the Acer. At Baldr's funeral, remember we talked about him in 3A, there was a dwarf in attendance when the ship burned with Balder's corpse on it. Thor punted the dwarf into the fire and cheered everyone up a bit. They viewed the dwarves as maggots, and that's actually one potential origin. Jotunheim is another popular world, and it's the home of the giants. Now, we've talked about the giants a bit too, and they aren't incredibly different from the Acer, Except that they seem to be mortal enemies, slash sometimes lovers of the Acer. It's complicated. The Aesir banished them, but Odin and Thor both have Jotunar in their family tree. That being said, the Aesir are constantly in a cold, and not so cold war with the Jotunar, the giants, keeping them out of Asgard is a big priority. There's also Vanaheim, the home of the Vanir, a kind of different group of deities who the Asgardians sometimes fight, but they're largely allies of the Asgardians. There's Alfheim, home of the Light Elves, and I would love to go into depth on the Light Elves, but in some areas they're confused with the Vanir, and in some areas they're confused with humans. They are usually allies of the Aesir, and they can be helpful or harmful to humans, but we should generally see them as good. Niflheim is the ice world, and Muspelheim is the fire world. And when these two met, creation started. Niflheim is sometimes equated with Hell, the last realm of the Nine, but I'm considering it its own realm. Remember Loki's monstrous daughter, also named Hell, who came about because of his extramarital affair with a giant? Well, she rules the realm that's named after her. She's generally unpleasant, and this isn't like the Greek underworld, where everyone eventually goes. This is the home of the dishonorable dead, and sometimes the evil dead. Or just someone who didn't die heroically. People who died notably or heroically went to Valhalla or Folkvangar in Asgard to await Ragnarok. But that's a different story for a different day. Okay, so if you've seen the movie Thor, you're probably familiar with Bifrost Bridge. It's a rainbow bridge, but it doesn't actually connect the Nine Worlds in mythology, it only connects Midgard and Asgard. The Nine Worlds are actually connected by Yggdrasil, the World Tree. It's a giant, sacred tree that connects all the worlds. So all that backstory was just to give you some idea of the varied and complex relationships between the different groups. Norse mythology is interesting, but it can also be very contradictory and incomplete. I'm posting a very good source in the show notes if you want to know more. Okay, so that's enough background. On with the story. Thor pushed aside whatever personal effects a Norse god would have. I'm guessing just weapons, drinking horns, and bottles of mead. Where did I put it? He thought to himself. This is bad. This is really bad. His hammer, named Mjolnir, the one thing that defended the realm of Asgard from the Jotnar, the giants, was gone. And Thor had no idea where he put it. Eventually, he stopped looking and had to go to the Assembly of the Gods. Be cool, he thought to himself, while standing at the Daily Assembly of the Aesir. Maybe no one will notice, Where's your hammer? You heard behind him. Just a little louder than a whisper. He spun around, eyes wide. It was Loki, who's not his brother in this one, just FYI. And Loki had his lips pursed. Somewhere where I know exactly where it would be and is, Thor said. Hmm, Loki said. Come with me and I won't tell anyone you lost it. Loki turned around and walked out of the assembly. Thor followed. Outside in a large, vacant hall, Thor explained that he thought he knew where it was but it turns out he definitely does not. He has no idea. Can you help? This is bad, Loki said. This is really bad. Your hammer is the one weapon keeping the Jotnar out. We need help. We need to figure out where it went. I have some idea, Loki said, but I need to confirm. They left, and in one version they went to Thor's mother, Frigg, to ask a favor. In the Poetic Edda, though, they went to Freya. She was a Vanir, someone from the group of rival gods, but she was basically an honorary Aesir. They explained the problem to her, this is bad, this is really bad, she said, she would be happy to help. What does Thor need? Freya had a magical cloak of falcon feathers. Using it, they could fly to the different worlds and look for the hammer. She said absolutely, she's such good friends with Thor that she would give it to him even if it was made out of gold. Outside, Thor passed the cloak off to Loki, who put it on. It began whirling and raised him up in the air. So, where are you going, Thor asked. To the land of the giants, Jotunheim, to see if anyone there has seen your hammer. Loki shouted back and flew off. Thor scratched his red beard, and yeah, he's not the clean-shaven Chris Hemsworth in this one, with his long blonde hair. No, he actually had red hair in the mythology. They were trying to keep this whole thing a secret from the giants, Lest they learn of the missing hammer and attack Asgard. It kind of seemed like a very bad idea to go asking about it in the land of the giants. He shrugged. Loki obviously had a plan, so he would trust him. He walked back home. After flying to the world of the giants, Loki saw from the sky one giant in particular. Thrym. He was kind of very dumb but just tricky enough to have taken the hammer. He was sitting on a mound, bending gold collars to his dogs, as we all need to do from time to time. Loki descended. Thrym looked up and asked Loki, what's a little Acer like yourself doing all alone in the big world of the giants? How are the Acer and the elves? He asked, chuckling to himself, and biting his lip. If Loki only suspected before, he knew now. We're not great, Thrym. "'Have you hidden Thor's hammer?' "'I have,' he said, and laughed with glee. "'Can I get it back?' Loki asked. "'Nope.' "'Okay, what do I need to do to get it back?' "'Well, I hid it eight miles in the earth, so you need me,' Thurm said. "'It's not much, but for Thor to get his hammer back, "'I'm going to need Freya's hand in marriage. "'Then I'd be happy to go get it for you.' "'I don't think that's going to go over very well,' Loki said." she probably won't go for marrying the stupidest of the giants. Oh, okay, well, then it can just stay hidden. You know, maybe I could tell my giant friends that the mighty Thor won't cave their heads in if they pop into Asgard. Loki sighed. Just wait. Let me go back to talk to her. Don't tell anyone yet. That's what I thought, Thurm said. I'll be here with my family, waiting here for my new bride. And if you don't come back in a reasonable amount of time, well, maybe I'll just tell them the big news about Asgard. Flying back to Asgard, Loki ran through his options. They couldn't just kill Thrym, or they would never find the hammer, and eventually the Jotnar would figure it out. If they ignored him and searched for the hammer, then he would just get impatient and tell his giant friends anyway. It looked like marriage to Freya might be their only choice. He flew to Thor, and both of them went to meet with Freya. Freya took back her cloak, rubbed her face, and said... Really? I give you my cloak as a favor, and you pledge me a marriage to the stupidest of giants? No. That's not happening. I'm calling an assembly. This is bigger than both of you now. At the assembly, they agreed on two things. One, no. Freya is not marrying the stupid giant. And two, they need to find a way to get the hammer back. Sitting in attendance, Loki had an idea. He looks up at Thor and Freya, and then back to Thor. It wasn't impossible, he stands up. So this might sound crazy, he said to the assembly, but what if we dress Thor up as Freya? We give him the veil to hide his face, all of her personal effects, and put him in a dress, you know, to really try and sell it. Make it part of the deal that for quote-unquote Freya to marry the giant, the giant needs to place Thor's hammer in her hands before they're married. As soon as Thor has his hammer back, well, Thor just does what he does best. Everyone thought, and yeah, this was a great idea. If he was able to fool the giant initially, maybe he could keep the ruse up long enough to find his hammer. Everyone thought this was a great idea, except Thor. I'm not loving this plan. People will think I'm unmanly. It's really not great for me, Thor says. Thor, Loki says, you know it's not great for all of us. Everyone being killed and Asgard being ruled by the giants. And that's exactly what's going to happen if you don't put on this dress. You're ashamed? Well, maybe you should have thought of that before you lost your hammer. Odin chimed in. Yes, Thor, you will do this. And Loki will go with you, also in a dress, as your bridesmaid. Wait, what? Loki said. As a very, very quick aside, in some versions, Heimdall is the one to bring up the idea. The giant will hopefully be fooled, and he's quite dumb, so Loki, who will need to do all the talking lest Thor's voice betray him, will convince Thrum that this rather large woman is Freya. As Thor's goat-drawn chariot pulled up, Thrym is smiling. He has everything now that he has Freya as well. Oh, and also, Thor has a goat-drawn chariot. I can't find reliable information as to whether or not they fly, but they were named Tangrasnir and Tangranoster, which means "teeth-bearer" and "teeth-grinder" respectively. They are a method of transport and a hearty meal, because Thor could kill them, cook them, and eat them, and then resurrect them the next day with his magic hammer. They are pretty well known, but the giant throne apparently doesn't notice that Thor's chariot was pulling up. With a Thor-sized bride, in exchange for Thor's hammer, he really wasn't that smart. Nor did he notice Loki, in the guise of a bridesmaid, as he took them inside. He and all of his giant friends sat down for a feast before the wedding with Thor and Loki, and they all started eating. Loki had just told Thor to keep quiet, though, and apparently Thor didn't give much thought to how he was supposed to behave. He ate, and ate, and ate. He ate an entire ox, ate salmon, and apparently all the dainty food that they had set out for him because he was a woman. And he washed it down with three casks, basically three barrels, of mead. Thrym, the giant, sat wide-eyed. Wow. Freya can eat a lot. Loki, still a bridesmaid, remember, said, Oh, well, she's been fasting for eight days on the ride here. She's been so excited to be here. So hot was her longing for you, Thrym. This satisfied him, but the other giants shook their heads. They had always wanted brides from Asgard, but looking at this woman, they said that they were not so sorry that they failed to win a bride of Asgard. Then, a little bit of Thor's veil came down, and revealed one glaring eye before Loki could rush to put it back on. That's quite the face Freya has. That eye wasn't exactly sweet and longing like you said it would be, unnamed bridesmaid. It looked more so glaring and murderous, Thrym said. Oh, well, she's been awake for eight days too. Like I said, longing and all that. Hey, it looks like we're done eating. How about we get this wedding going? Thrym agreed, but first the bridesmaid insisted that they bring the hammer out and place it in the bride's hands, just so they could start out well and by keeping their promises. Thrym, the stupid, stupid giant, looked the bride over and waved the giants with the hammer out. Thor tried to jump up and go for his hammer as soon as he saw it, but Loki grabbed him, shaking his head. We are like 30 seconds away from this going off without a hitch, Thor. Let them place the hammer in your hands. Seriously. Thor's man hands were outstretched as Thrym approached with the hammer. Finally, the giant thought to himself, he would marry Freya and have everything. He placed the hammer in the bride's hands. Now, shall we start the ceremony? Thor's hands closed around the hammer. Loki, he said, the veil. Loki pulled the veil and fancy hat off his head to reveal the bearded countenance of a very angry Thor. The smile faded from Thrym's face as it was replaced by a look of confusion. This is what Freya looks like? She looks very different from what I thought. Wait a second. This isn't Freya at all. Then he realized that he, a giant, was standing in front of Thor, who was recently reunited with his hammer and itching to use it. All the giant Thrum had time to do was almost scream before Thor brought his hammer down hard on his head, killing him with one blow. Loki slipped off to avoid the very angry Thor smashing all the giants in the room. Thrym's mother sister, all the guests, basically everyone who was there to enjoy a nice compulsory giant wedding, was meeting with the business end of Thor's hammer. Loki followed Thor out the door, and just for good measure, Thor struck one of the corners of the dwelling, collapsing it and bringing it down on everyone inside. He wiped his hammer, and the pair boarded the chariot. They rode the chariot, goat-drawn, remember, wearing blood-stained dresses, without saying a word, all the way back to Asgard. So, this is a weird story, but it's not that bizarre as far as Norse mythology is concerned. Like with Irish mythology, these stories were recorded in a Christianized Scandinavia. It's unknown how much of the story then is truly just a funny tale of Thor people would have told in ancient times, or if it was a story invented by medieval Christians to make the pagan god Thor look ridiculous. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but a lot of people think Odin was worshipped by everyone, and in some ways he was. But Thor was actually a common man's god, Odin was the god of kings, jarls, and poets, and we'll talk about the poetry thing later, it's really good. Thor was the god of warriors and farmers. He brought thunder and rain, and he fought for Asgard. With this story, the people were either having fun with the common man's god, or the later societies were putting him in his place. Regardless, I, for one, say we petition Marvel to get this story included in the next Thor movie. Okay, so I mentioned poetry before. There's one more story I want to tell that doesn't really relate to today's, but it's so weird that I wanted to bring it up. Remember how I said Odin was responsible for poetry? Well, you don't quite know how responsible, and the winding, twisting road we take to get there. Poetry basically starts out from the spittoon of the gods. It was just after the war between the Aesir and the Vanir. The war ended, but they needed a way to demonstrate the truce. They all passed around a vat, and all spat in it. This was an ancient peace ritual, but I can't find anything else in it beyond that. Well, the war had been long, and costly, and they wanted this show of peace to remain, beyond just a likely stinky, slowly evaporating vat of spit. So, naturally, they formed it into a person. That person's name was Kvasir, and he was so wise that there wasn't a question he didn't know the answer to. He traveled the worlds, giving people knowledge, and eventually he ended up in the dwelling of two dwarves, Named Falar, and Galar. They had asked for a word in private, and even though he was the wisest person in the world, he apparently wasn't wise enough to know not to trust two suspicious-looking dwarves when they want a word in private. They quickly stabbed him to death and drained him of his blood. They poured the blood into a few different containers and mixed it with honey and yeast and made mead. I might have talked about mead on here a while back, but it's wine fermented from honey. It's fantastic and tastes just like liquid alcoholic honey but it's not for everyone. I'm a huge fan, but I'm also a little surprised that the Vikings, the huge hardy warriors that were the terror of the Western world, love such a sweet drink. Whoever drank the mead fermented from Kvasir's blood became a poet or a scholar. The dwarves, covered cover for their crime, explained to the Aesir that Kvasir, the spit man, choked. It was that he had so much knowledge that there was no one in the world wise enough to even ask the questions to get all the knowledge out. He choked on his own knowledge. I know that some of you listeners are grad students or professors, so watch out that you don't learn so much that you choke on your own knowledge. And they would have gotten away with it too, if it wasn't for their giant friend. They had a friend named Gilling, who they invited out for a boat ride. They were boating along, but the thing capsized. The two dwarves righted the boat and climbed aboard, and yelled to Gilling. And then looked around. The sea was calm, but where... Oh, he couldn't swim. They rowed back to shore, and dreaded telling Gilling's wife... She did not take it well. She stayed at the dwarves dwelling and wailed and wailed and wailed for her husband. Soon they were through feeling bad for her. They just wanted her out. She wouldn't leave though. Her husband had been lost at sea here. She wanted to be as near to him as possible. Fallar sighed and said, okay, hey, wanna go out and see where he died. You know, just stand at the beach and see. Maybe it would help. She agreed. Fallar and Gollar had agreed on something. They couldn't make her leave. She was a giant, and the weeping, she couldn't stay. Fowler walked out ahead of her and nodded to the roof. He and Goller had gotten a millstone up to the roof earlier that day, in the event that the giantess wouldn't leave. When she walked through the doorway, Goller dropped the huge stone, and just like that, no more weeping. And they would have gotten away with it too, if it wasn't for their giant friend's son. The son was named Sutung, and he knew exactly where his parents had been. He went to the dwarves, grabbed them, and threw them in their boat. He bound them and rowed out to a rock at low tide. He placed them there, and when the tide came in, they would be drowned just like his father. When he was rowing away, though, they yelled to him, something about Kvasir, about the mead. It could be his. He was curious, and turned around and heard the dwarves out he learned of the mead and knowledge and poetry. Drowning them wouldn't bring his father back. He might as well profit from this. He agreed to the deal and took the mead recompense for his father. He took it back home, but wouldn't share it with anyone, even his daughter, who guarded it when he wasn't there. One time Odin was traveling in the realm of the giants under the name Bulverk. He had heard of the mead and wanted to try some. He maybe on purpose, maybe not, killed all the servants of Setung's brother and remember that Suttung is the giant who had the mead, Odin agrees to work for the brother for the whole summer in exchange for a swig of the mead. The brother said he couldn't promise that, but he would see what he could do. Odin, still in disguise, worked for him, and at the end of the summer, the brother and Odin went to Suttung, the giant with the mead, who said absolutely not. Why would you promise something you can't deliver? You're not getting any of this mead, ever. Leaving, Odin said that he had figured out another way. Over the next few days, they bored through the mountain that made up the back of Suttung's house. Eventually, Odin was able to slip through in the form of a snake. He met Suttung's daughter, there guarding the mead while Suttung was out for the next few days. One thing led to another, and Odin ended up staying there for three nights with Suttung's daughter. Each night, she allowed him one drink of the mead. Just one. Of course, she thought that he was just a normal giant, not the god Odin and she forgot to specify how long the drinks could be. The first night, he drained all the mead by a third, the second night by a third, and the third night, well, you get it. Oh, and he's been storing it up this whole time, so by the end of it, he was just a big, sloshing vat of poetry mead. Finally getting what he came for, he didn't even pretend to want to stay. He transformed into an eagle, and abandoned the woman as soon as he got the mead. saw Tung return just as the eagle was flying out of view. He saw his door open, daughter weeping, and, oh no, he ran inside to see the three empty vats, not a drop of the mead left. He sneered at his daughter, transformed into an eagle, and flew off after Odin. Odin had a head start, and was Odin, so he was able to stay ahead of the giant most of the way back to Asgard. Once he was there, he would just have the rest of the Asgardians help him, Thor in particular, against the giant pursuing him. He just needed to make it. But he looked over his eagle shoulder to see the giant gaining on him. He flapped harder and harder and saw the walls of Asgard. He wasn't going to make it. But then, somehow, he saw the Asgardians holding out vats to catch the mead. Let's just say that he had planned it ahead of time that if he came back in eagle form, they would be there to catch the mead. But it doesn't really make sense. I know. Odin spit the mead in streams in three vats but there was still a little left inside. He looked backwards as he was approaching the wall and saw the giant eagle right there, and screamed a bit. That last little bit, well, he was so scared that he urinated. The prosetta just says that it came out of his rear, so let's just assume and hope that's what they meant. Odin made it inside the walls though. Satung, the giant in the form of an eagle, saw Thor standing at the wall and quickly turned around in defeat, heading back to the world of the giants. So that's why poetry was known as Odin's gift. He gives up the mead to select Aesir and humans, and it gives them the gift of poetry. But you might be wondering about that little bit of the precious liquid that got out of Odin the other way. Well, no one wanted to go after it, and the Aesir just chalked it up as a loss. But it did trickle down the Bifrost Bridge, and into the world of men, and became known as the Bad Poets Portion. I think we've all heard poetry from someone who's gotten a little bit of this mead. Next time you have to sit through someone reading their terrible poetry, just consider the source. The urine of Odin that came from the fermented mead blood of a man made from spit, where the urine had been slashing around inside of him for about three days. That's it for this week. Next week is an amazing story of an English dragon. It's a listener's suggestion, and you'll see why you should just go to church on Sunday morning, and not stand in the river swearing so loud for all the village to hear. I want to say thanks to Firecast56, Squidge3647, Lilia Ben Revi, Vile Caesar B, Mantis Toboggan, Elf Badger, Holly Heresy, Whitby86, Avatar Jess, Enkidis Curse, Elabella 17299 and Bookwormin' and Apple for the reviews on iTunes. I am seriously blown away by your words of encouragement and deeply appreciate the reviews. It's amazing to hear from you, so thank you. If you'd like to leave a review, it does help out the show, and I'm really grateful for all the feedback. You can check out itunes.mythpodcast.com. If you'd like to get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and help support the show, you can do so for less than $5 a month. That's less than the price of an official cat butt coin purse. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a coin purse to help you identify different types of cat butts. If you'd like to get extra folklore that sadly, won't help you identify cat butts in the wild. I'm sorry. Check out support.mythpodcast.com. Oh, and also, I have a quick correction, or elaboration. In episode 22B, through Colin Killing the Hound and getting his name, he didn't do so with just any ball. He had stayed out of the castle playing the game hurling, which I've been told is like a cross between field hockey and lacrosse. He hit the ball, which killed the dog in one version, with a hurley stick. And that's an important detail, because it's one of Ireland's legendary heroes playing Ireland's national game. It's a cultural significance that I didn't really know, so thank you to Mr. Crowley for letting me know about this. And, as always, if you have elaborations or corrections, please let me know. I'm always happy to hear them. The creature this week is the Patuparehi, the Bean fairies of Maori folklore. They are tiny humanoid creatures with pale hair and skin. They live in communities in the mountains, and if you want some of their fruit, you must make an offering first, or there might be misfortune. Men can be taken and mistreated, then released or killed. Women, though, have it much worse. They might be put under a spell and lured by a male fairy, and then... Yeah. She would wake up back at home, but the spell could be triggered again at any time, and she would be compelled to return to the fairies. Redheaded and albino Maori people are thought to be the result of such a union. If the trooping fairies are feeling slightly nicer, they will call out to you with a friendly Maori greeting. This being another instance of don't follow the creatures in the wild even if they seem friendly, they will get you hopelessly lost. But they also can invite you to a fairy dance party, which they hold with some frequency. If you hit it off with one, you can get married and live with near constant anxiety of stepping on your spouse. They aren't all bad and can teach people magic and charms as well as how to make an awesome fishing net and how to put on puppet shows. That's right, follow the music in the wild and you have a 50-50 chance of getting captured, assaulted, or killed, or getting invited to a dance party, hitting it off with someone 1 16th your size, and learning how to put on an amazing puppet show. That's it for the show this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Links to the other music I used are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.